there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another uh, episode of the American Way. Uh, getting ready for a brand new Vikings season this Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals. Thought, who better to have on than my main man, uh, the proprietor of Vikings Territory and the host of Believe Vikings uh, pod, the Believe Vikings podcast, Dustin Baker. Dustin, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. The weekend is getting started, and it's a football weekend, so I got to keep tabs on a bunch of fantasy teams. And then foremost, see how these Vikings do on Sunday because it's been seven months of waiting in this off season. So now we got to see if all these chess moves pay off. Exactly, and then if you're like me, it's a it's a double whammy that you have your fantasy teams stacked stacked with Vikings. So then you have to keep track of both at the same time. Yep, I uh, I think I ended up getting I didn't have a second pick at all, so I didn't get Dalvin, but uh, I've got Jefferson and a couple. And I believe Thielen. And then I usually fill it out with the Vikings defense if I didn't have something just to you know, give it the double feature like you talked about. Exactly. So it's a lot, a lot of uh, mystery heading into this season. We have a lot of a brand. We have a basically a brand new defense. Uh, I believe seven new starters from last year. Uh, unfortunately, boohoo, we will not have Anthony Barr on Sunday. But it'll be interesting to see the. The brand new defense, uh, a brand new uh, offensive coordinator, Clint. Uh, Clint starting his uh, having his first game, running the show. So what? What of all of the mystery leading into this game on Sunday? What and what intrigues you the most? Well, I just want to feel a good defense again. So starting in twenty fourteen, when Zimmer came aboard, we had a pretty decent defense, and that was a huge change of pace from the Leslie Frazier days. And then it grew. 2015 was damn good, and 2016, 2017 was legendary, 2018 was even pretty damn good. So it feels like eons ago that the defense was good, but it was really only 2019 when it ranked fifth in the league for points allowed. So the last last year was so messy and so nauseating that I just want to see a good product on defense once again. So when they started making all of the free agent splashes, nobody foresaw the Patrick Peterson thing, even the Vikings. Just today, I want to play there. Give me Mike Zimmer. So uh, I am most excited to see how quickly it gels. The bar news is disconcerting, but I think people equate an injury from last year in the sense that, oh, bar's out. We might be screwed. Well, last year, it was like three and four and five dudes that were hurt. So or seven. Sum of all part, <laughs> yeah, the sum of all parts, the defense sucked, I think. They can get by without bar for however long, so long as we don't start stacking other injuries on top of it. So the most exciting part uh, that I'm looking forward to on the defense is to see how the front four 
gets pressure on the quarterback because last year I recall like when Afadi Adimbo would get through every now and then, it felt like a big deal that we got pressure on a quarterback. And that usually is commonplace for a Zimmer defense. So I want to get back to normal of a defensive brand of football. And it will, it will feel good to see that. I'm glad it's the Bengals that we got week one, even though they're not a, a pushover, but it's certainly not like the Bills or something. Absolutely, and I think for me, for on defense and sort of uh, coupling which uh, your thoughts uh, paired with this uh, bar news is, I'm fascinated to see what formations that we see right away. I mean, do we see five? Five? Is it possible we see five guys up front? Is it possible we see as uh, five defensive backs? I'm I'm just really curious to see what new wrinkles and formations that are uh, that uh, Joe Burrow will have to go go up against. With the, with with these new, with these new acquisitions paired with the old guys and you have Daniel back uh, better better than ever allegedly so I'm just I'm mostly interested intrigued on defense just to see what uh, how it all looks like how you how you stack up. Uh, I talk about uh, different formations and so we've clamored for Anthony Barr being used as an edge rusher for seven years now and it only happens like once in a while. But I think if there was ever a year that Zimmer will tinker, it will be this one, and that's not on a hunch. They used DJ Wanham during the summer in a stand-up capacity, just trying that out to see if he could act as a 3-4 type of linebacker. And then, oh, by the way, they signed Sheldon Richardson again to be that 3-tech, and so Sheldon Richardson is a starter in the NFL. So uh, it leads me to believe that they're going to do some tomfoolery because they experimented with Wanham standing up a little bit, and then Richardson's not just going to live on the bench. Uh, some folks just think Richardson Everson will be the, the pass rushers on third down. And they might be right. But I think that if there's ever a year to see experimentation by Zimmer to deviate a little bit away from his 4-3 baby, it will be this one because they have the personnel to be versatile. Exactly. And you know what a lot of people don't forget about Richardson? I know we say uh, they, they brought him in to be a pass rusher. But I'm curious, especially on Sunday, just since we don't obviously we don't have Bar. He's played a lot, and uh, it was like five years ago when he was in uh, New York under Todd Bowles. But back then, he played a lot at outside linebacker. So I wonder if they do that, like Richardson or Wanham. I like you mentioned uh, what they did with Wanham in training camp. So I I just feel like they have they're they're really stacked up front. They have more. Yeah. Prob- they're probably better to guard to to defend the run, but uh, I think they have a lot of options, which is well, they, a, a far the, cry from last year. They have the best of both worlds for rejuvenation because they have invested a lot of capital, salary cap capital, in the middle with Tomlinson and Pierce, who in theory should stuff the run in the vein that you saw last night with the Bucks against the Cowboys. They should be able to do that. And there's, there's some experts that say, well, this is pretty funky. You're investing in a bunch of run defense when the league is going to be even more pass-happy in 2021. Well, we have guys for that. We didn't have those guys last year. But now Griffin's back, and in three snaps in the preseason, you saw that he still has the pizzazz to be an astute pass rusher. And then Richardson, by trade, that signature is a pass rush. So it's like we have both. Like, they strategically went out and got both. They're not going to allow six touchdowns to the Saints like they did on Christmas Day because they have their own defense now for that. And then on the edges, Daniel's back. He wasn't there last year. Richardson's back. He wasn't there for two years. And by the way, Everson Griffin, just as a cake topper, is back. And we know that he can sack the quarterback. So it gives me a lot of enthusiasm to know that 
Um, we don't have to deal with scrubs. The dude that started week 17, Zimmer even said it from his own lips earlier in the week that they're not even playing. Uh, a lot of them aren't even starting elsewhere now. So the Vikings started a bunch of dudes that are fighting for third string jobs. And it's a testament to their lack of depth last year. And I'm of the opinion that this roster is fairly deep. There's a lot of people that think it's a scam and paper thin and like wax on a car. But I think the roster is pretty deep. Like, is it, as much as other teams can be deep, I think the, the Vikings roster is fairly deep. Now, if you lost Jefferson or Thielen, then, you know, your receiving crew is down to one dude plus a bunch of other guys. So there's a little conversation to be had about the depth on offense. But, yeah, I think it's all set to stop the run and stop the pass. So now we just have to watch on Sunday to see if we're right. Absolutely. I think it'll be very, it'll be a good test. I mean, the uh, Cincinnati is going to come out with their passing. That with their three guys. I, I tend to think uh, Jamar Chase is going to struggle early on, but you have two really good receivers in Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. So I'm fascinated to see uh, which guy Patrick Peterson takes on and which guy – a Mac Alexander, or or uh, or probably or Chris Boyd, or whoever they have in alongside uh, alongside Peterson, who takes Boyd and who takes Higgins? I think that'll be key. I think the mystery there is they're all pretty; those two are equals in terms of their deadliness to a defense. Right now, T. Higgins will be entering sophomore year, and he's kind of an upstart player last year. Did well in fantasy. And then what is Boyd in his third or fourth? And he's shown steadiness in terms of production. So Jamar Chase hopefully probably won't be a bust-out candidate in week one, but he'll be there and probably get a couple catches. And now A.J. Green, although he was diminished the last couple years, he's gone. So that's the reason that I think this team will be able to put up some points this season. They probably won't have a winning record because they do have some of that sizzle for weaponry. And then you got Joe Mixon off, by the way. Uh, but the trenches, they weren't very good last year. The defensive line didn't get pressure. And then their offensive line kind of sounds like ours in the sense that it, it has a history of splotchy play. And it doesn't sound like they took a lot of remedial steps to fix it. Uh, I interviewed a guy who writes about the Bengals uh, for allbengals.com on uh, the show I have with McKinney. And he's, he kind of sounded like a fatalist. That Like, well, they didn't really do a whole lot on offensive line. They went and got Trey Henderson to rush the passer on the defensive line. So... I think they can be exploited, uh, but I also have this mini fear that, yeah, what if they're good? What if we show up Sunday at noon and all of a sudden, boom, this is Bengals' breakout year, and we're going up against the team that we took for granted? That's like a, an anxiety fear that I have. I don't think it will happen, but I can see myself, you know, rolling my eyes on my couch at about 12:30 on Sunday, thinking like, how didn't I see this if they got off to a hot start? Exactly, but I think. One benefit, like you was, like I was, list, I was, of course, I listen to you guys every week. So I, I listen to the experts you had on. I think one thing that's really uh, fascinating about their offensive line and lack of improvements is, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they have former Viking Riley Reef on the right side, which that, which would mean, uh, similar, or you know what, or is he on the left? I, I can't remember if he's on the left or right this year, but I would imagine. Well. Then he probably won't face Hunter. But I was gonna, I was, what I was going to say is, I know in practice, uh, notoriously over the past several years, Hunter always, Daniel always tended to give uh, Riley trouble in practice. So that's that. <laughs> it's something to watch. I mean, maybe it, that's why they moved him. <laughs> I know they had they drafted a guard in the second round, Jackson Carmen, 
but it sounds like he's not going to start. It looks like it's a identical scenario to Derisaw, uh, uh, our first rounder. So yeah, it looks, it looks like they have two. Uh, they have they have some weak spots on Sunday. Uh, uh, off, but I think yeah, the offensive line doesn't really look that uh, does just it just doesn't look that great on paper. So I think if there's any game for the, for this de- for this new and improved defensive line to break out, I do think it could be this Sunday. I think the, so. Here's what happened with Reef. Um, the Vikings cut ties with him because he was you know projected to have a big payday, and quite frankly, they didn't think he was worth that. We'll see if we'll see if that uh, was the right decision. But anyhow, he went there, and they already have Jonah Williams, and Jonah Williams will be in his third year, and he is a left tackle, and he's a pretty good young left tackle. They weren't going to change his biography because of Riley Reef. Riley Reef is also a pretty decent tackle. So rather than ruin Jonah Williams and uh, screw up his pedigree, they said, well, Reef has played right guard. The Vikings moved him to left. So now they're going to move Reef back to, excuse me, I said guard, meant tackle, move Reef to right tackle and hope that he can rekindle some of his early career uh, production because they're not, they weren't willing to change Jonah Williams because of Riley Reef and uh, if you listen to the show, like you said you did, that uh, Mike guy was kind of perplexed as to why they went with Chase instead of Sewell. And uh, I really thought they would go with Sewell in that draft because can you really go wrong with a left tackle? Dialogue. Uh, that's Pain. supposed to be supposed to be that good. Uh, but yeah, I think the the trenches will be the most exciting part to watch because the Vikings were so nasty with their trench play, offensive and defensive last year. But I'll caution caution listeners, and I said this on my show that. Because the Bengals' defensive line wasn't that great last year and it did a little bit to improve, it's still in the bottom tier of the NFL. If the Vikings' offensive line can handle them, great. But that doesn't mean we're good to go for the rest of the year. we got to start playing real pass rushers, and the Bengals just aren't quite in the caliber of what we'll see with the Cardinals with Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. Oh, absolutely. I think, and I think the key on the offense... If it, I'm, I'm more worried about the offense than the defense. I'm, I, obviously, it's... We were top a top five ranked unit last year, so it's you're bound for some regression. But I'm just anxious. I'm I think the biggest key, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I know you uh, you've talked about it on your show is, I think the interior uh, the interior of the line needs to improve. I think uh, Udo shows some promise, and Ezra Cleveland entering his second year, he he looks to be more comfortable in that left guard spot. But I'm very anxious to see. How that how the interior of offensive line uh, performs? Well, it's not the way that I wanted because when we drafted that late April night, when we drafted Darius, two row one called two meeting row TP toolbar Perry WND. I uh, I was excited that those two were good enough to start week one, chiefly because what the Vikings had wasn't very good, and here we are in September, and we're starting the guys that I perceive as not very good. Uh, so hopefully I'm wrong about Udo, and hopefully Rashad Hill can hold down the fort until Garrison is ready. Uh, but to your point, Udo just needs to be decent. The, the Samia and Dozier were trash last year. So uh, I think all we've asked for, the fans of the collective body politic, for five years is we just want to be in the middle of the league. We don't want anything fancy. We don't want to get uh, greedy. We just want an offensive line that protects Kirk Cousins to about the 16th best in the NFL. Uh, and I think that's when we start to see dividends because that's what happened when Keenum was quarterback. And, of course, he masked a lot with his 
play, uh, playground type of mentality. But if you look at uh, pro football focuses grades, every year that Zimmer has been the coach, the pass protection of the Vikings offensive line has been, uh, what is it, 25th or worse in the league. The one year it wasn't, where it ranked 17th, was 2017, and boom, we go to an NFC championship. So I don't think most of us agree. We just want to give Cousins a little bit of time and see, like, he, he Cousins puts up these respectable numbers, 4,000 yards, 330 touchdowns each year with the Vikings, with these offensive lines that would be shunned by other general managers. So if we can give Kirk just mediocre play, the sky's the limit. You can see how good he can really be. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and it's a good, it's a, it's a good, uh, easy, it's a good uh, ease, way to ease into it for the offensive line. That he, like you said, Hendrickson is a nice player. I know the the Vikings had interest in him on the on the first day of free agency, but beyond Hendrickson, they don't have much great depth up front. I think most, uh, most of their most of their defensive talent, Cincinnati is. Is more in the back end. You have Jesse Bates, Jesse Bates, who's a stud. We have Hubbard, but they're more sort. But on the up up front, the the front four that I the front four I imagine that this offensive line will face. Uh, compared to the next three weeks, uh, at uh, uh, following this game, uh, at Arizona, home Seattle, home Cleveland, I think I think it's a it's a good barometer just to see if they can hold up the fort. Yeah, it's a nice segue because they're going to get the heavy hitters right after the Bengals game, and that starts with the Cardinals. Uh, Seattle's is meh, uh, but then the Browns are certainly ferocious. So, yeah, it is a – I don't want to eat my words and say it's a perfect uh, opportunity for them to hit their groove, but there are there are a lot worse defensive lines you can face out of the gate if you have an offensive line that you want to gel right away. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, uh, I don't know – how ferociously the Vikings pursued him. Um, perhaps they did, but the knock on him is he's a bona fide pass rusher. His, his run-stuffing run skills are not very good, and he's kind of in that unique Ngakwe role where you know he's a, a hit man when it comes to sacking quarterbacks, and with uh, run-stuffing, it's kind of like, well, yeah, here and there, he can stop the run, and I don't think the Vikings wanted to try that again or invest a bunch of money on it because they saw what happened with Ngakwe, so I think Hendricks was a, a pass because he doesn't do it all kind of like Hunter does and during his prime Griffin did. Yeah, and I I just feel like their their depth their depth on that line just looks a suspect. Uh, what what worries what what worries you the most about this game on Sunday? Just look looking at the two teams, what's what's one aspect you think of this game that hopefully does not go awry, but like what's what, something you're just like ah, I don't know about uh, uh, forty eight out uh thirty six hours uh yeah. it, it, away. I know you said you're concerned about the offense gelling. I the only reason that I would share that is because the preseason was so awful, and it would it would be nice for them to fire on all cylinders right away. Um, but the, the preseason, if that means anything, was not a good indicator. Um, but I'm not I'm not really scared of the offense. Cousins has done his thing for six seasons now and we know what we're going to get from him he's going to be good not great he's going to be really really good at certain stretches of the season 
And I know that barring some really strange decline at age 33, he's going to be what he is. And that's 30 touchdowns per year, 4,000 yards. So offense, I'm pretty confident in. Defense, I'm also confident. Uh, we just got to see if they, they come together right away because it is a lot of new faces that for the first time ever are on the field together calling shots. I think the only thing that would concern me, and it's what I just talked about, is the offensive line because this is the same thing that we do every year. Like, we get high. We even were excited about maybe Dozier can actually do this before last year. And you know, we, we thought that way of Josh Klein. And then, boom, he was actually pretty good. And the Pat Elf line, we're thinking, well, maybe he'll go back to the way that he was as a rookie, and he never really did. So right now, I feel like we're in that hopeful optimism with Ole Udo and I guess Rashad Hill to just be decent, and I hate that. Uh, I, I endorsed the strategy by drafting Davis and Derisoff, but I thought at least one of them would be ready. And here, D Davis evidently isn't ready to start, or they, they like Udo more. And then Derisaw is in this limbo of when is he going to play. So if, if the Vikings do not have a winning season or they do not win a playoff game, and I think that means that Zimmer would have to find a job elsewhere. I believe it will be because they never realized the offensive line is important. You look around at these teams that go to the Super Bowls, and they have great trenches. And that's what frustrates me um, about Spielman and Zimmer is that if I can notice it, and I don't even play football, why can't they notice it? Exactly. And I, I guess I wonder if maybe like they evaluate, they, 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 they favor different skills than most teams or maybe they have maybe they may have more optimistic views about guys than others do i suppose but i mean yeah. yeah i mean they they have good intentions some years and just things never quite happen to the injuries and somewhat I, I i'm curious to see about derisaw i know uh one question one thing one the first thought i had about derisaw actually coincidentally is your your co-host on the show i know uh, both both situations are eerily similar. They're different in that uh, uh, BMAC was hold a holdout in the pre-2011 uh, labor deal uh, world where the, uh, the, they, didn't have, they didn't have the, the draft slots and this, this amount makes this much based on this pick. So he held out for the first 10 weeks. But uh, similar situations that neither, uh, both were drafted in the first round very highly for their size and athleticism at the at left tackle, and neither, for whatever one reason or another, were able to get any work in in the pre, in training camp or the preseason. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why those two hit it off so well. Uh, I had Darius on our show after the draft, and that was the most excited, giddy, and invested that Brian's ever been in a show before. I mean, he was acting like it was his first cousin at a family reunion or something, the way that they were giggling and talking together. But yeah, there's significant parallels. Brian's was because he wanted the respect of being paid more than the guy that was drafted right behind him. And all he wanted was a penny extra. And it took forever for the Vikings to do that. And back then, Amir, you'll know that the team and the newspapers controlled the dialogue. There wasn't a uh, social, social media, media yeah, for McKinney to come out and be like, whoa, look, I'm not greedy here. So us, we fans, you know, we thought McKinney was this greedy brick. And all he all he wanted was a little bit of you know, respect in terms of the pecking order of the draft. Um, on Darisaw, yeah, the only thing that I fear is that his core muscle thing is going to just linger. I don't have any evidence to suggest that it will, but that Viking cynicism that, that we have, it's like, uh, can he 
can he at least dress? Uh, will he, you know, just be a backup so that I know if this isn't the highway to the IR? Um, but you have to believe that if he was that hurt, that he would probably already be on the IR because, after all, he's a rookie and you might as well get him healthy and bring him back for week seven. So I do believe that the injury is fixable in this season. Uh, it's just that it would have been so great to have him start gelling with uh, that fivesome right away so that when we hit November and December, we got this off offensive line that's off and running. And now that timetable just delayed each and every game that Darisaw misses. Yeah, and I think... I, w- I was I was honestly surprised when uh, the final fifty three came out, and he was not put on the three week IR just just because the IR this year is so short the three weeks, but it it is a good sign that he's they're the ramp the ramp they're ramping him up uh, slowly and surely, but I wonder just based on the performance of Rashad Hill, if maybe maybe the best time you would want to get him in would be after the bye. You look at the the opponents up to the bye. And it'll be good. It'll be a good barometer to see if Derisaw improves with his with his health and uh, gets more practice reps, and we can we we can see sort of how the offensive line is gelling, and then maybe we'll get a chance to see him after the bye. I I don't know for sure, but that's that's sort of what that's sort of what I, my inkling is on the situation. And you just have to hope that when he's healed, he's magically ready to play starting football. Like you know, he's ready for LT one duties. That's a big ask. Um, when he didn't play any preseason, you know, hasn't seen any caliber outside of his own teammates of a, you know, mean edge rusher. All we have to do, all we're doing right now is wanting to get healthy. Then he also has to play good on top of it all. And it would have been nice to get him headed in that direction in the preseason or even training camp or in those scrimmages. Uh, but now he has to do that in-house, and it's not unheard of. I mean, it'll, it can be done, and it will be done, that he'll get on-the-job training in the regular season. Uh, but he's got to be ready because if he's not, then back to Hill we go. And it's just not a position on the field that you want to have uncertainty as left tackle, especially with a quarterback who doesn't have the best pocket presence in the world. Yeah, I think that I th- I think you're right. I think that that is probably going to be the key to this offense because mm-hmm. you have really good, really, really, assuming that they don't get hurt. I mean, we've already had one a bit tough break with Irv, but you have really good skill guys and Dalvin, who's probably, if not the best running back in the league, one of the best. And you have two really good receivers in Thielen and Jefferson. And I still like the tight ends that you do have on the roster. So I think it does all come down to just how well this offensive line can play. It always does. Uh, I think I wrote today in an article, uh, it just kind of dawned on me that at least we have experience with offensive lines that aren't that great. So if it turns out that Darisaw needs more time to nurture his injury, um, it'll be frustrating as hell for, for you and me and the rest of Vikings Nation watching it. But we've been through this. We know that we can reach the playoffs with a patchwork offensive line. We did in 2019, and hell, we even shocked the Saints again down in their house. So we've done this before. Thankfully, Dalvin Cook puts deodorant on a lot of offensive line issues and we know Mike Zimmer likes to run the ball so uh, he'll he'll do his mayhem like he did last year and by the way that offensive line was probably the worst of the Zimmer era and Dalvin Cook was still second in the league and rushing yards from scrimmage touchdowns and all of that so we know the offense can still get us to the playoffs but it would be nice to see if they can go further than the wild card round 
for divisional round with a good offensive line. And then it's kind of the same sentiment on Herb Smith. When I saw that news, the eyes rolled to the back of my skull because I know the Vikings can offense can tick without Herb Smith because they've done it before with Kyle Rudolph. But I thought that Herb Smith would enhance this offense to the utmost, especially if we actually targeted him. If we're throwing the ball to him seven, eight times a game like Travis Kelsey, then, you, then you're going to turn him into a superstar. And he's built like a muscular wide receiver, and he's fast. So it would have been just icing on the cake to have that weapon. That's a moot point now because he's out four to five months, and that probably means the whole year. So we're back to where we were with Kyle Rudolph types who are reliable with Conklin, we, we think, uh, but nothing really too game-breaking like Irv Smith could have been. Yeah, although Herndon looks promising. He's not as athletic as Irv. Like, Irv, what makes Irv, what, made, what really uh, had me excited about Irv Prior to the injuries, like you said, he's a re- he's basically a receiver and a tight end. He he's a receiver's body in a tight end player that he has this tight end skills, but sort of like in a wide receiver's body. Herndon is similar to that. You could probably say he's a a diet option. That he only had one full season. That he had the uh, one year where he had the he was suspended and then he was injured and then of course last year like when you. Play with the Jets and Darnold. Uh, I don't even feel that confident about Carolina's offense, but he had, he had Darnold. He had Darnold behind center, and uh, off. Usually, uh, Adam Gase offenses are where good players go to die, but his but his rookie year he had really good stats, and you look at just his 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 physical makeup. It doesn't sound like they're gonna have a major role for him on Sunday against Cincinnati. But I do think he's going. He could have a sneaky good year for this offense, just because yeah. tight ends always tight ends in this offense. They don't get high volume, but they get they they've all in the offenses that we've seen the last uh, throughout the Zimmer Zimmer regime, is the tight ends with the slow volume seem to always create that into large production. Yeah, and again, that's what I was excited about with Irv. With Irv was that. Because we don't have a show-stopping WR3, and we didn't really make an effort besides the U.S. group to get one, like like watching the game last night, they had WR3s out, out the wazoo, and uh, I thought that the reason strategically they didn't do that is because they're like, well, we're going to be throwing the ball to Irv Smith eight times a game, so we don't need to spend a lot of money on our version of Antonio Brown or our version of CeeDee Lamb. Um, that goes on the back burner until this time next year so it's a move point um, but I think I think the offense will do its thing just as it did with Rudolph Conklin's probably not as good as Rudolph uh, but Conklin's also young and given his chance in that Tampa Bay game and Bears game last year he looks the part and now we get to see if he has TE1 genetics we absolutely will we absolutely will I think I think uh, I I do think this uh, the offense it, it worries like I said in the in the, in the beginning it worries it, it'll regress but it won't be a bad offense I think it'll still be a top twelve ish offense just as long as they stay healthy because you have those great uh, skill players that I, that we mentioned uh, I guess uh, uh, coming coming close to the end here uh, what's what's your predictions for Sunday I mean. We talked about the strengths and the weaknesses. I mean, what sort of what sort of your your feel your itch heading uh, heading heading ever so closer to Sunday as we record this? Well, they will 
predicted 27 to 13. Some of Zimmer's week one performance wins have been sloppy. I don't think this one will be overly sloppy. Uh, for instance, I think it was the Falcons game in 2019 where, or maybe it was 28, or no, it was 2019 where, you know, Cousins threw the ball 10 times and we just ran it, ran it, and played defense and got the hell out of U.S. Bank Stadium with the win. I think it'll be a little bit more dynamic than that. I do think we'll score on the first possession. Uh, I think they have some canned heat that they want to let off because of that miserable preseason. But I, I think the defense will do enough to confuse Burrow. If, if our coach is good at anything, it's defense, and it's his uh, innovative nature on defense. And I think now that he has his guys, that he can do that again. And that's just from the versatility of the free agents that they've signed and the guys that are coming back from injuries. And Pierce with the opt-out, Hunter, and then uh, I thought I was going to say Barr, but he'll be out. And Kendricks didn't play down the stretch, and that's kind of what ended the playoffs hopes when Kendricks got hurt last year. So I expect them to win 27-13. I like some of these uh, guys that have the real enthusiasm, like Rick Sosa. He, he writes for Vikings territory, and he has the purple code. He's got like 41-17, thinks they're going to blow the doors off of him. And we're due for that for a week one game. Uh, we haven't really just crushed a week one opponent since the Sam Bradford game in 2017, or if you want to call it the Adrian Peterson game, uh, when they came to U.S. Bank Stadium. And Sam Bradford had the game of his life, and the Vikings took that. So that's the kind of effort I want to see, and it would really shut up people about the preseason because the preseason is never indicative of regular season play. But it would have been nice to get a little bit of confidence from the offense. And it's funny, the Kansas City game, the one beacon of hope uh, in offense was Irv Smith. He looked phenomenal. And then, of course, how many, two days later, he's lost for the season. It's just like ultimate Vikings luck. Absolutely. I think I agree with you. I think, I think they will come out with a win. I think it, if you're right and this offense uh, puts up a good production, you'll have less and less pe- uh, Twitter arguments to have. You know, with everyone, everyone keeps everyone keeps uh, telling. And I mean, we we have this uh, this this discussion about cousins and all this all the stats you keep providing us good people with on the offense. So another uh, a good performance on Sunday will definitely minimize the the tension you'll have to face. If they don't win this game, hold on to your butts because normally I wouldn't get too worked up over one loss, kind of like 2015 when they laid a turd to the 49ers and then won the division a couple months later. But this schedule isn't like that one. So out of the gate, you kind of have this reputational gimme, the Bengals. They're not very good. They've never been very good. They were for Marvin Lewis for a couple years, but they're kind of in the basement in terms of the pecking order. That doesn't mean they suck, but in terms of other teams' uh, comparability, Bengals aren't very good. So the Vikings have a a way to get a win and then build a little momentum against the Cardinals. That one will be on the road on the West Coast. The Vikings never play well in that unless they get the Chargers. Then after that, you have the Seahawks. Uh, It'll be nice to have them in our building, but you never know with Wilson. And then after that, the Browns, which is a revenge game for Stefanski. So they have to win this one. And if they don't, then you're staring down the barrel of 1-3 and or 0-4, and and no team can recover from that. So I tweeted last week that if the Vikings want to be taken seriously, they have to be at least 2-2 and getting out of the Browns game. 
then they get the Lions, hypothetically should be a win, and then you're up 3-2 and two, or, in that case, 4-1. and one. But they cannot lose this game because they look, they look like pretenders. I don't think it will be good for morale, and you and I will be able to take the heat on social media. Absolutely, our good friend Ali uh, Ali Siddiqui, of a, a frequent guest of this podcast, he he pointed me to an interesting stat that yeah. every single time of the times that the Vikings have faced the Bengals, every time that they've defeated the Bengals in recent memory, they've gone on to the NFC Championship game. Every time they've lost to the Bengals in recent memory, they've missed the playoffs. They uh, beat the they they lost they they beat the Bengals in nineteen ninety eight. Uh, they beat yeah, they they, they beat them in oh nine and they beat them yeah. in seventeen. They they got destroyed by Zimmer's defense in thirteen. Yeah. Uh, I think actually, I believe they opened the season one year oh five. I want to say against the Bengals yeah. and they just got uh, smoked. So yeah, that is uh, I guess I don't know how I didn't see that. Usually my algorithm has Mr. Sneaky in there, and that's that that one's really fun because I'd never thought of it. Usually I think of everything when it comes to purple and gold. But yeah, that's that's so damn true. I don't know if it goes. Probably doesn't go all the way back to. He went back uh, to ninety two. That he said. Uh, really? Who, that's was it? Or no, not, no, was it ninety two? No, maybe it was ninety five. That he said they lost. Like, I'll have to look, I'll have to re- reread it again. But it was like since the nineties that they've played the okay. Bengals six times, and each time they beat the Bengals in a regular season, they advanced to the NFC Championship. Absolutely. Dustin, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so again, again so much for enlightening us with your expertise. And uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully, we'll be, uh, talking, uh, hopefully we'll be talking again after a, a, a season opening of thumping on, the, oh, on yeah. these bangles. Hopefully. Yeah, we got to cross-promote real quick. You're going to hop on my show um, the, the Wednesday after the game. So this Wednesday... And yeah, we'll have a sad show if we're talking about 0-1, uh, but it'll be the opposite. It'll be the ultimate hype train. If they want to know, no matter how they get the victory, uh, it'll be an exciting show. But regardless, we'll see you on Wednesday night. Absolutely. Every year, whether you whether they win or lose, every year, the, the Vikings never, ne, they never fail to disappoint in entertainment value. There's always <laughs> some, every year there's something. So at either way, we're, we, we got content, we got content for ages with this squad. I agree. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure having Dustin on with us to preview the game. I'm very fascinated. Again, as we mentioned in that previous segment, I'm very intrigued to see about the, not just not just Sunday's game, but the whole season as a whole. I don't see this team doing very well. I think it's a very tough schedule. So I think if they win nine games, it'll be a it'll be a great achievement. But I'm very anxious to see, uh, starting Sunday, how this team will do. Um, it's very, uh, very. I th- I think even with the, moving on. I think even the even with the massive loss of Muhammad Ibrahim, I just I still feel like the Gophers will win more games than the Vikings. But it'll be it'll be very uh, very interesting to see, uh, starting this Sunday, moving on these next uh, seventeen games, how this Viking squad will do. Uh, that'll do it for us again uh, for today's episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As- Assalamu alaikum and uh, see you next time.